Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with questions, comments, concerns about your outdoors, your house plants, or whatever it happens to be. And Mr. Kelly, I did a little research. I don't know if you remember last week yeah. I was talking about the hummingbirds and the mugo pine. Mm-hmm. They're just kind of looking. They're just oh, going really? in between the. I have cannas in my front yard and mm-hmm. backyard. So in between the two, they just go by the Mugo Pine and think, what is this thing? Really? Checking <laughs> it out, huh? Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm probably having several hummingbirds every day. Yeah. So Come in there and check it out. That's interesting. Yeah. And is it all... red or anything? Is it, does no, it no, give off any? It's just a regular pine tree. Pine tree. You know? Yeah. But uh, they're there because of the cannas, you know, mm-hmm. and the right. red flowers. But Well, good. And they all get, you know, they look up, this one's finished, so... So they check out all the different cameras. <laughs> they're, they're fun pretty, to watch, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they really are. They all have personalities. And they you know, they make kind of a really unique sound, too. Mm-hmm. So, that little deep, deep, deep kind of, yeah. not, a, not a chirp, but just that little beep kind of that they make. Yeah. Right. I, we was, were, out, I was out the other day, and uh, one came in looking at me. I didn't know I looked like a flower. <laughs> yeah. They'll come right up to you, look at you, right. check you out. Hey, what's up? You know, we were watching them last night. We have the one feeder that has about eight holes in it, you mm-hmm. know, and and there's a wasp on it. Ooh. And so they would come up and sit there and they'd be eating. And then the wasp would walk in front of them and they'd get up and look at them and then move to another <laughs> hole. And it was kind of like you could see these guys sitting in a bar and somebody's walking around and challenging them to fight or something. And each one, one after the other, would get up and move. Uh, and very entertaining, absolutely. for sure. Yeah. Well, good. Tremendous. It's interesting. Well, thanks. And folks, on Saturday morning, we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your landscape. How about your gardening space? Oh, and one thing, last week a lady called and said uh, something was eating her flowers on her portulaca or moss rose, and I never heard of it. Well, we have listeners, or the show has listeners, I guess on Radio.com from Maryland, the state of Maryland, and the gentleman sent me an email back saying that he had seen rabbits eating his portulaca. So even in the state of Maryland, the rabbits, for some reason, are now eating portulaca flowers. So something new to me, but I was very nice of the gentleman from Maryland to email me back saying he had experienced that very same thing that the lady had 
right here in St. Louis. And uh, Taste of the Tropics, how are your houseplants doing? Uh, potting mix, how to improve your soil. So, again, another email, a lady emailed me. They had raised beds, and they backfilled them with some apparently not very good soil, and she wanted to know how to improve this soil and what they needed to do. And so I sent her some information on taking care of that situation. And uh, what I try to do is share information about bugs, diseases, or whatever it happens to be, and then the decision on what to do is going to be up to you. You orchestrate, and you decide what to do with your landscape. Final judgment is absolutely yours. And this is your show. I appreciate you inviting me into your home, your car, or wherever you happen to be listening, radio.com or whatever it is. Another very important player is Alex. He's producing. He answers the phone. Just your first name and where you're calling from is all he needs. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you like, a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage has my email address and phone number. This past Wednesday, I was at a very neat, unique circumstance up in Blackjack. A nice, great neighborhood, home, and everything else. And they'd bought some additional land that butted up to their property that had a historic orchard. But uh, unfortunately, the trees, they were still producing, the fruit trees were still producing fruits, but they were on the sort of the downhill side of their life. But man, a great home, great landscape and everything else. And the people were very enthusiastic about the outdoors. And they really wanted to sort of like, how can we improve these trees? And I basically ended up saying, yes, you can do some pruning and things like that. That will help. But in reality, these trees are old and they're going to head downhill from this you know, particular standpoint. And uh, you can reach me at my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, as I said. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Market Street, newly paved and painted, makes for a very smooth ride. The intersection at Tucker, a statue of Ulysses S. Grant, looks to the northeast. Below is a sea of three or four different varieties of marigolds, deep oranges to pale yellows, backed by Little Leaf Boxwood. The area is fenced off, unfortunately, but that's okay. The lawn is neatly mowed, and cascading down from the window ledges, chartreuse sweet potato vines blended with red begonias. And outside the entrance to this is the city hall for the city of St. Louis. You're going to see magnolia trees, multi-trunked, mulch bed, hydrangeas with the spinflower still on them, and then more of the yellow and orange marigolds there as well. A giant clock centers the facade four stories up. Bicycle racks are there. A sign notifies wheelchair access at the rear of the building. The south side planting area mimics that of the north. Granite cobblestones as a bed edger adds historic touches to both of the bed spaces. The planting each year is done by Operation Brightside. They install the annuals, and their volunteer staff does many more things to beautify the city of St. Louis, including graffiti removal from buildings and other situations like that. And also, Operation Brightside, or Brightside St. Louis, I should say, uh, don't forget, they sell bulbs every year. They have a bright side red, which is spectacular tulip. They have daffodils as well. So you can purchase your spring bulbs. Just you know, go to, go to their website, and uh, very easy to do. You can then pick them up in Forest Park once they arrive and ready to go, or you can have them shipped directly to your home. 
So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're going to start off in Doug's yard. Hi, Doug. Good morning. Hi. Got uh, three real quick questions for you. Um, I've got a burning bush that got out of control, and uh, we trimmed it way back. And now when it grows out, it looks more like a tree. Is there anything I can do to uh, get it back to the bush stage, or did I just screw that one up? No, I mean, you're just going to have to keep – when you say looks like a tree, so it's like a single trunk and then just branches – X amount of inches it, above the uh, above it, it's on the probably about eight foot tall, and maybe from five foot to uh, uh, up to the top, it's got foliage, and the rest of it just looks like a regular tree. There's nothing there, uh, just branches. Yeah, so so there's no so there's there is branches on the lower part, but no leaves. Yes. Oh, I would say it's a goner. Okay, I kind of figured I mean, that, but I just wanted to double check. Yeah, it's not and, dead. It's just aesthetically it's a goner. Right, okay. Then uh, I've got uh, an area that I'd like to put some uh, landscaping in, and my soil is heavy clay. And uh, um, um, should I, like, dig it out and put a mix of uh, compost and topsoil in there, or do you have any other suggestions? No, you can mix, but mix w- within the existing soil. Don't get the clay out of there and just put the, you know, topsoil compost, but just blend it all together and you'd be creating a raised bed by doing that. You don't have to have an edger on it. You're just elevating the spot that you're adding the topsoil and compost. Okay. And then then my last question, I've got some uh, hostas and decorative grasses. Um, Is there, I'd like to separate out the the grasses into smaller pieces because they're getting kind of large is there anything uh uh any tips you can give me on that i've never done it before uh it depends upon what type they are they are how long are the blades uh some of them are like 18 to 24 inches and then there's some that are probably three and a half four foot okay so I, i don't know the names of them right so what you need to do is just it, so you're wanting to dig them up and divide them? Is that what you're asking? Yes. So just dig them up, get it done soon, so you can get them divided and replanted while the weather, while the ground is still warm. So sometime within the you know the next month would be ideal to do. So just dig up the entire clump and then just whack it in, in into pieces like a I don't want to say a pizza, but a pizza. Okay. And probably make sure that, you know, where you have blades that you still have, you know, you have root system connected with, you know, the blades. So the above and below ground growth are in each clump. All right. And then um, hostas, do they prefer sun, shade? Uh, I've got to move a bunch of them, too. They want want really shade. In the sun, they look great and they look okay in the springtime. But when this intense summer suns start coming around or late spring, then they start sunburning. Okay. All right. That's all I needed. Thank you very much. I enjoy your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. So the ornamental grasses are sun, the hosses are shade. And now let's go to Oakville and see what's going on with Jane. Hi, Jane. 
Good morning, Mike Miller. Hi. Um, I have a quick question for you. I have boxwoods in, uh, in front of my porch. I have three of them. There is so much growth on them this summer. I probably four to six inches, um, and I really need to get them trimmed. Um, and I think it's supposed to wait until September. Is that correct? Uh, basically, with the weather the way it is, uh, you could probably do it now. But yeah, get it done and get it done as soon as you possibly can in September too. So. Ideally, the broadleaf evergreens prefer to be pruned as they're coming out of wintertime. But this, you know, early in the season, you could probably do it with no damage. Oh, really? Okay. Because you can just cut them back so far. Otherwise, you'll you'll have you'll kill them, right? Well, yeah. You aesthetically, you you can kill them because you can get to the point where you've cut them back where there is no longer any functional leaf buds along those stems. So consequently, you're just going to see sticks. So you just have to be really careful on how far you cut them back. Okay, but I'm okay to do it like tomorrow morning and get those trim back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can certainly do it tomorrow. But, uh, okay. yeah, what you want to do is you want to get it done, you know, kind of quickly because the tips, even though they're this year's growth that you're cutting off, you know, have become acclimated to the weather and the things that are below them, even though historically they had been exposed to the, let's say, the roughest part of weather. As we go into wintertime, if we have a severe winter, you can get some major damage as a result of as if you do the pruning too late. Got it. Okay. And, and I have another quick question. I have the, the Gallardo daylilies out front also. When's a good time to separate those and, and transplant them, I guess? Again, uh, fall is the best time to, you know, to divide, to transplant and everything else because the ground is warm and fall meaning early fall, you know, sort of like late summer, really. So okay. sometime in September, the ground's warm so they can, once you sort of replant them, the root systems can get established, and then they get to go to sleep for wintertime. Gotcha. And and your jonquils and all that, that can be done in September, too? Uh, you have jonquils? You mean as far as planting? Yeah, the bulbs. Oh, yeah, sure. That's okay. when that's when you got to do it. Great. Okay. Thank you so much. Got a busy day tomorrow. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, and let's go to Jean's yard, and that's in South St. Louis. Hi, Jean. Good morning. Um, years ago, I turned a section of my yard into um, an area bordered, uh, filled with daylilies. It's about 15 by 15 triangle. Wow. I wanted to go back to grass. What do I do to get rid of them and put grass in? So do you want to just kill them off? Is that what you want yep. to do? Yep. And uh, basically go out there with Roundup, kill them off, then wait for about uh, 14 days or so. And uh, kind of then you're going to turn the area over as okay. far as like with a rototiller or a spade or something like that. And then mm -hmm. get your if you're going to do sod, you know, get your sod laid. If you're going to do seed, get your seed down as soon as you can in September. Great. Thank you. Thank sure. you very much. Bye-bye. And now let's go to uh, how about Jim's yard? Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I've got some areas in my yard that have developed uh, Bermuda grass. It started off small and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I want to kill that off. So I was going to kill it with Roundup and then uh, reseed it heavily with the tall dusky grass I have. But my question is, do I need to dig up that sod or will the Roundup just kill that and then I can reseed directly over all of that dead grass? Roundup should kill systemically the, the entire thing. So it kills above and below ground growth. But uh, Bermuda grass is kind of tough. It may take a, you know, 
another application or two. But if you get the other grass going, also, you know, when you say heavily seed, putting extra seed down is not necessarily to the advantage of, you know, getting the lawn thick going down. If you, I don't know how big these areas are, but ideally you would use sod if you want some really thick lawn because over, or growing from seed is going to take two or three years of putting seed down every May and every September to get a thick lawn. Okay, okay. And, and I've got some that are very small, and I've got one that's like, it started out small, but now it's probably eight by six. I mean, it's gotten to be a big area. I'm right. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, there are chemicals okay. that are specifically for killing Bermuda, but you have to have a pesticide applicator's license, and there are chemicals that are really, I don't want to say toxic, but toxic. Okay. Um, and then you talked about last week about uh, putting down like a pre-emergent to stop, um, you know, the at the uh, fall and winter uh, weeds that come up, the annual bluegrass, right. stuff like that. But if I'm going to overseed this this fall, do I? how long do I need to wait before I put that down or does it not make any sense to put that down at all because it would it would prevent the germination of uh, whatever seed I put down on the grass? Yeah, I would say the combination of two, even though in theory, you know, you should, you know, four weeks after the seed, your grass seed is germinated, you, you could put the pre-emergent down, but you never really know because still a four-week-old, you know, germinated lawn seed may not be all that strong, and the pre-emergent may have an impact on it. Even though it's, in theory, not supposed to do anything, to something that's actively growing, I would be ca- you know, cautious about doing that. I'd say wait, you know, live with the, you know, the cool season annual weeds, the hen bits, and the annual bluegrasses and stuff like that, if it's historically been a problem, and just try to get your lawn going. Okay. Okay. Thanks very much. I really appreciate your show. Sure. Thank you. And before you put the seed down, too, after you kill the Bermuda, rake heavily so you can get as okay. much of the debris out of there before you put the seed down. Then do a top dressing with about a quarter inch or so of compost, and a seed starter type fertilizer would be beneficial as well. Okay. And I should do that even if I use sod? And not, no. If, you use sod, if you're using sod, no, just put the sod down. But you still should rake and turn the soil over a little bit right. so the sod so root systems can get root yeah. Right. Have the ability again. Okay. So, so that was. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I don't. I don't need to take the side of the old Bermuda grass out. I can just rake it up, turn it up a little bit, and then put the sod down on top of that. Right. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks so much. Certainly. And now let's head to Jack's yard. Hi, Jack. Hey, Mike. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, I had a, a neighbor, fine guy, but he put in a, a racetrack, uh, and his land is above mine. A lot of sand, uh, maybe a ton or two, came down onto my property. Tested by the University of Missouri. And all I wanted to know is if, if this is even – it went through a dry creek. We had a very uh, mossy kind of beautiful area there that we enjoyed. But is it even really – going to be a problem will it just finally kind of go into the soil and not much real effect in the long term and then secondly if if there's a place that you could suggest that does do that kind of cleanup if it's even necessary uh basically is it really fine sand uh it's it's caused it's lot it's staying there it's, it's definitely gonna it's kind of thick actually okay so in other words i'm asking the particle size because is it like sandbox yeah, it, sand or is it tr- like traction sand bigger pieces 
Yeah, it's bigger, bigger pieces. Okay, well then that's good because the the smaller pieces of sand can really kind of penetrate down into the soil, and clay soils together with sand that makes bricks. And then you got a yeah. horrible circumstance. Well, that actually had okay. So then maybe it's a tad bit finer than I, I it, because where it washed down into the creek uh, on we have a somewhat wet, dry creek. Uh, and it's just a beautiful part of the property. Right now, it looks like like little miniature sand dunes there, uh, <laughs> where it stops. And and so, as far as that goes, it, it literally even kind of bammed up one of the areas of it. Uh, the water just stands now instead of kind of either flows down or sinks in. Uh, which again, that's not here nor there. I'm just wanting to know if I really do need to move forward on getting it cleaned out. If it's something that's really because we love the moss, we love the natural look uh, at the sure. top where it first came in. He, he just didn't anticipate the rain we had in August. That that's the way it goes, right? And because he tried to seed it and things like that, it's not like he didn't try to do that. But uh, we just didn't, you know. So when it came down, it, it does look like it's really affected the vegetation in the top area. And then, and then it's just covered that dry creek for for a long ways, and then where it finally stopped and kind of settled, it's like it's dammed up that area. It doesn't seem to be going anywhere, but again, we still we don't have the rains we had. So I was just trying to see, a again, if, if it you know if it's something that's going to kill out that moss and that vegetation and our going to affect all the the marom- you know all the mushrooms and things that we love about that area. Um, then, I, I, then getting it cleaned out might be, you know, necessary. And I just want to know, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what to ask, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> well, it sounds like, you know, you potentially it could cause some major damage just from the volume of what the sand, you know, the amount of sand that's there. And as yeah. far as somebody to come in and clean it out, I don't know of any company that would be doing something like that. All right. That stinks. I, I didn't know. I looked around and I didn't. That's why I, that's why I called an expert. Yeah, where right. do you uh, where do you actually live? I live out in, in by the Festus area. I have a farm out in the Festus area. Okay, what I would do is go to the you know University of Missouri Extension Service and see I if did. you can I get did. it. I it off. I got I got the samples back, and again, it was about about forty percent sand. Then uh, mm. the rest of it, I don't have the report. Oh, I could pull it up on my email, but I. It was literally just that 40% sand. Right. Uh, That's not good. Okay, I did not know. All right. Well, that stinks. I was hoping you were going to say, hey, it's just going (laughs) to sink down in the soil and be all okay. Yeah, wearing rose-colored glasses is not going to help. Okay. All right. So, yeah, there's no way to get that cleaned out, really. There's no... No. All right. Well, I love your show, Mike. I appreciate your time. Well, thanks. And I thanks for having me on your show. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. We're headed upstream uh, to Edwardsville. Hi, Julie. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, Mike, I have... Uh, uh, three different questions, three different areas. My flower garden was totally neglected for two or three years, and it's overrun with weeds and all different kinds of grass. In spite of the neglect, the spring flowers, you know, the spring bulbs have come up and been lovely every year, Mm -hmm. the daffodils and jonquils and things. 
but in trying to pull the the weeds and the violets and the grass out, I discovered that I'm I'm really not able to get all the roots out. I was wondering if I could put I I don't know what you call it, but I know there's a kind of black kind of cloth stuff that you could put over ground where you don't want anything to grow. If I put that down now, would it would it keep those weeds from coming back up? But then if I take it up in the spring, would my spring bulbs still be okay? Your spring bulbs will come back, but also your weeds will. Oh. So you're just, you're temporarily kind of cosmetically getting rid of them, but you're not getting rid of them really. So if I sprayed it with Roundup, would would that, if I did that now, would it, would the spring bulbs still be safe? Sure. They're, they're below ground. Roundup has to hit yeah. the foliage of something. Then it goes down through the root systems. Oh. Okay. A separate question. I have some wedgelas that are, I don't know, they're taller than five feet, mm-hmm. but the upper branches are dying and those plants are really old. And I'm wondering because they have so many branches that are dying, is it time to replace those? It could be an age thing, yes, definitely. What you could do is cut off all the dead and see what happens next year in the springtime for the Wygelia. And if they don't do any better, then I would you know, consider it. But you might give them one more year, but just get rid of the dead stuff so you don't have to look at it. Okay, third question. I have a blue spruce. It's... I'm, I don't remember for sure how old it is. It might be five years old or something like that. It's maybe six feet tall. But all the branches around the bottom have died, and I don't know what's wrong. I don't know if it's salvageable. I don't know what to do for it. Yeah, it doesn't sound good, but uh, I would say go ahead, cut off any of the brown branches and just kind of let it alone for a year or so and see what kind of recovery happens. But it does not sound good. Okay. Thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. And uh, let's Take go care. from Edwardsville over to St. Charles in the Mary's Yard. Hi, Mary. Oh, hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have uh, one comment and then a question. My comment was about the poor Chalaka. When we were listening last week to the lady that called, our, uh, we had a rabbit that was just finishing off our poor Chalaka <laughs> in the front yard. So anyway, I tried to call, but it was busy, so I, I just gave up. But um, the question I have is we have a crimson maple um, that's in the front yard, and we've had it, I don't know, about 10 years. It's about 10 feet tall, and it's our favorite tree. And um, I was looking out there the last couple of days, and the leaves are starting to curl on the edge and fall off like it's fall, but it's not fall. And um, we've had it happen a couple of times before, but it just seems like it's a little bit earlier this year. So I checked the branches. The branches seem healthy. They're, they're, I scrape them, and they're green and all, but, but the leaves on the edges are all starting to curl. I don't know, is that a water problem? No, it's just weather-related. Several trees throughout the entire region, and some of the ones that are like the Crimson King maple are are not exactly the strongest tree. And so with this screwball weather that we've had this year, several trees of that sort of nature are dropping foliage. 
Oh, okay. Well, that's good to hear because it's our favorite tree and we just want another <laughs> one this spring. So it's like, okay, well, that, that's great. I just, I thought, well, I'll just call you rather than looking through the internet trying to figure out answers. But um, that's great. Thanks a lot. Sir, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, into Mary's landscape we head. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Um, I have three short questions, I hope. Um, the first one is, what's the proper way? I have a um, bushes of shasta daisies, and I want to deadhead them to keep them blooming. What's the proper way to deadhead? Do you just pull the dead ones off, or is it better to cut them? They're better to cut. If you pull, you could do some dim, you know, stem damage, and that could be problematic. Oh, okay. Well, that's good to know because I was cutting them, and then I thought maybe it was more natural to pull them off. But it would be natural just to leave them alone. <laughs> but then they wouldn't keep producing, right? Well, so you know, yeah. some of the varieties were not going to just because you cut the spent flowers off doesn't necessarily mean they're going to rebloom. You could try yeah. it and see what happens. Some varieties will, but some won't. Well, they're still blooming. And right. Perfect. So I guess that's it. Um, the other thing is similar to the lady who called earlier about, I have um, a couple of small, um, like, flower beds, and I also have a juga ground covering in there. And the weeds and the grass, you know, onion grass and stuff wants to come up in between, and it's a challenge to keep it under control without pulling up the uh, juga with it. Right. So what do you suggest, if anything? To... Basically, as long as you can, if it's possible, uh, you know, go out there and take Roundup in a jar and a paintbrush Paint and just, it. yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. I know I've heard you say that before. I just didn't know if that was the only way to, to that. I, I pull them up, but, you know, that's a losing battle. Yes. Um, and then Finally, I had to pull up some Asian lilies that the foliage is still, you know, lively um, because I'm having some concrete work done and I want to relocate them. Should I stick them back in the ground right now or wait? You could do that. If you dug them up and you kept the soil around them and everything else, you just didn't dig them up and shake all the soil off of them and have them in a paper bag or something, correct? Right. Okay, so if they've got soil around them, I would say, you know, get them back into the ground as soon as possible. If you had pulled them up, cleaned them off, then you should just leave the bulb until later on in the season to plant. Okay, because a lot of the dirt naturally just fell off. Sure. So, you know, there's not a lot of dirt. Right. I didn't knock it off on purpose. Are the stems still green or are they they yellowish? They're um, a mix. Okay. You know, some some are turning yellow. Okay, so I would get them in the ground as soon as you possibly can. Okay. And a All really right. well-drained soil, full sun is ideal, part shade is kind of okay. Right. Okay. I have a perfect spot for them. Thank All you right. so much. Sure. And now let's go into South County, into Grace's yard. Hi, Grace. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a, a question about when is the best time to be planting a pink dogwood or redbud tree. Do you do it in the fall, or is it better in the spring? Uh, 
part of it's going to be availability, but usually it's going to be springtime. It's going to be when they're most available. So pink dogwoods are not, you know, if you can find one in a garden center, you could get it planted now. I mean, this year. Also, just, you know, look at the ends of the branches and look for the little round dot to make sure that it has some flower buds on it. Oh, oh, okay. So I didn't know. What about the redbud tree? They're pretty tough. They can be done. They can be done pretty much any time. Except the heat of the summertime. So spring or fall for them is okay. And do you water? Make sure you water when you, after planting? Yes. Basically, you want to dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only 80% as deep as the root ball. So in other words, the top of the root ball is going to be above the surrounding ground. That more or less ensures less potential damage to the root system. Then you're going to put about two inches of mulch you know, over the top of it, don't put any mulch right up next to the bark. Right. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. And now let's see. Bill, can you do it kind of quick? Uh, yeah, I'll try. Uh, I've got some uh, ornamental grass that volunteered in my front lawn. Mm. And uh, so I used Roundup to kill it because uh, the other stuff that they recommended didn't kill it. So but the question is about uh, the uh, when does it drop its seed, and it you know is that seed is it will it germinate in the fall or will uh, it germinate in the spring? Well, when was it flowering? When when I you know. it wasn't actually flowering, Mike. It was uh, it's ornamental grass, but it's very low. Okay, uh, like maybe five to six inches. So basically if it didn't have any flowers on it, you know, typical grass type flowers, then you don't have to worry about the seed because there is no seed. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that kind of solves that issue. Uh, my other question real quick, fiddly uh, fig it has some brown spots on it. We used a fungicide on it. It may have been overwatered. Now I'm letting it dry out, but I just sprayed it with a fungicide. Is that the best I can do for it. Yeah, there's probably, you know, who knows? Did you have it outside or was it inside? It was inside. Okay, so it could just be, were they older, you know, let's say flower or foliage on the bottom of the stems or was it newer foliage? Uh, well, it looks like it's newer foliage. Okay, so it could be, you know, who knows what causes it. You probably didn't even need to do anything. This is just a, a product of the plant being inside which is not the ideal circumstance. You know, outside, you know, they can't live in the wintertime, obviously. But fiddle leaf figs, they have huge leaves, so a few spots here and there, there's not really too much you can do about it. Okay, okay. Just don't worry about it. All right, all right, thank you. Certainly. Yeah, a lot of times we, you know, we, we see something and we don't, we're not quite in tune with the fact that this plant, whether it's a fiddle leaf fig or anything else that's a house plant, really loves to be in the outdoors. It could be in the outdoors in the summertime, but if we were to put it outdoors in the sun, it could have gotten sunburned because it's spent all winter long in the house. There's all kinds of things about moving plants in and out. So basically a few spots here and there. Don't try to take any action. It's okay. A fungicide is not going to do all that much, but it's not going to eradicate the problem. It's probably not a fungus in the first place, but you really don't know, so uh, you probably didn't do any harm to it. But that's the thing. You just, you know, our plant materials inside, 
<laughs> it's really, really tough for them. And even if we move them out in the summertime when we bring them back in, it's still tough because it is not a real environment. So just uh, we've got another hour, so 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, tip of the trial hour. I'll be giving it shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Mr. Kelly, before you slip out. Yes. uh, You work out, right? Weights and stuff like that? Yeah, a little bit. A couple times a week. Okay. Two to three. I try to get three, but I don't always make it. Is there something you drink while you're doing it or afterwards specifically? Uh, Yeah, there's, uh, what is it, BCCAs is something that you're supposed to drink, like, while you're working out. Really? Yeah. And then after I work out, there's uh, a Girl Scout cookie mint flavored, you know, the the thin mint flavored, and it's a post-workout drink that's high in protein and supposed to help your muscles repair after you work them out. Really? It's so good. Wow. Yeah, it's really good. And so I have that afterwards. Fancy smancy. Yeah, you know, you got to invest a little bit in it. <laughs> that's so, okay. Yeah. And then one other thing, too. It's, mm-hmm. you know, we've been dry for a couple days now. Yeah. And it looks they're projecting dry for another at least week plus. Right. How's your garden doing? I'm sorry about that. My throat... Uh, it, the garden's doing great. Okay. I do have to keep an eye on the pots. They're drying out a little bit more. Right. So about every day or so I go out and I water the pots. Okay. But as far as the plants that are in the ground, they're looking, they're still looking really good. Perfect. Yeah. So you must have done a good job in preparing the soil and installation as well. I followed your rules, your guidance. <laughs> that's, that's all I need. That's all I need. <laughs> By the way, I did buy a, uh, uh, an elliptical this week. Because we didn't have anything like that, and I, uh-huh. I wanted that. Right. And so I called the guy back, and I asked him, oh, before I pick it up, I need to know, how many coats can that hold? Because, you know, most of that exercise equipment right. winds up being like a coat rack. <laughs> so I had to make sure that if we didn't use it, we at least could put some coats on it and, and you know, <laughs> right. take care of that. So and Yeah, he didn't get it either. It was like, what? And I said, you know, because that's what they usually end up being is coat racks. <laughs> so anyway. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> well, great, thanks. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> yes, and let's head out to the phones and go into Craig's yard, and he lives in St. Charles. Hi, Craig. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I have a uh, uh, planted as a seedling a red oak. It's about five feet tall. It was planted about five years ago. And I'm wondering how long we can hold off before we transplant that. We want to move it to my daughter's house. Is that even possible at this stage or not? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, it's a, size-wise and everything else, but you want to do it after the foliage has fallen off, fallen off. Or, you know, so in other words, sometime after, let's say, Halloween, you know, Thanksgiving time until the new growth begins in the spring. So anytime during the winter. But how, okay, and then what if I wait like a year or two? Is it going to be too tall to do that? Or not? Well, it's not the, you know, it's not the height that's important. It's going to be the root mass. So the okay. longer you wait, the, the bigger the root ball that you have to dig up. That's what you're looking at. Just make sure you get it all. Okay. Right, exactly. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's right. all I need. Have a great day. And then before you dig it up, just make sure you water it a day or two before. Really get the ground saturated so when you actually dig it up and lift it up out of the ground, the, so- the soil will you know kind of be stuck together 
and won't uh, fall apart off the root system and cause some damage that way. Oh, okay. That's a good idea. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Sure. And now let's go to Lenny's yard. Hi, Lenny. Hello. Hi. How are you doing, Mike? Good. Um, my question, I try to do my own research, but I, I must be typing in the wrong code words or something when I do my Google search. Uh, I got uh, about seven or eight um, clump uh, birches around my property, some down by the lake, some up by the house, so it's not kind of um, environmental. But they've, they're all about 35, 40 years old, mm. and the top 10, 15 feet of all of them are defoliating. Is that age-related or well, age ideas? Could be, yeah, age could be part of it, but uh, are these river birch? So, in other words, they have exfoliating bark, peeling off bark? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so they're clump river birch. Yeah, river birch are going to drop foliage through the summertime anyway. This year, with the crazy weather we've had, it's happening a little bit more exaggerated. And uh, somebody was called last hour about their Crimson King maple about defoliating, too. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. Well, it's, I mean, it's just the top 10, 15 feet. The rest of it all looks good, and it, this has been happening right. like the last three or four well, years. Well, you know, that's the end so. of where, let's say, the root system sends the nutrients and moisture, and then it's got to climb all the way up to the very top. And if it doesn't get to the top, then those leaves are going to fall off. Okay. So in other words, and then one, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to ask an unrelated question, but you say that you do stuff with water gardens. Um, I'm thinking about, I live on a lake, and I'm thinking about putting a, well, I am going to put a big waterfall in, like four, 400 gallons a minute type pump thing, a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that I need to put it, since this lake, since it's getting pumped up out of the lake, up to a you know a pond and then going to cascade back down? Right. Do you think I need to worry about a liner for the for the rocks? you know, as it comes down, because the aligner is a, a big part of the uh, cost, you know, those, right. those 40 mil or, but I didn't know if, you know, since the water, generally, if you were doing it somewhere else, you know, you don't want to lose the water, but since this water's going back down on the lake immediately, do you think I still need a, a liner or? Well, to save the cost initially, I would say don't do the liner, but just keep in mind, you know, how close these rocks are put together and everything else. You're going to lose some water and make sure you don't see some erosion around the, where the rocks are of this cascading waterfall type thing. If it is, then okay. you may end up having to put the liner down. Well, after, the, after Afterwards, that, it's yes, it's going to be a nightmare. Yes. So it's probably be better safe than sorry to just suck it up and buy the liner, huh? Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, sir. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's go to Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hello, Bill. Bill, you there? Nope. Guess not. And let's go to John, and he lives in Fenton. Hi, John. Hi. Uh, thanks for your show. Um, you talked about tulips at the beginning of the show, and uh, I had purchased about 100 tulips in the fall of last year, planted them, and got some really good results out of them. Uh, I'm wondering whether I need to plant tulips again in the same area uh, this fall for next spring. And if so, is there a variety that lasts uh, multiple years? Uh, There are, but they're not going to be as big and showy as a classic-type tulip. So that's, you know, kind of the disadvantage of the tulips anymore Two years is probably going to be the max that you're going to get blooming. Then after that, they kind of, 
you know, drop as far as they'll still put foliage out, but as far as flowering goes, that's where the real trouble is. So they've been over-hybridized, and that kind of consequently takes away the longevity factor. So you could just go ahead. You can get some extra tulips if you want. Put them in a distinctively different area so you can check the ones that you previously planted to see how well they're going to do. Because if you mix them together, you're not going to know which is which. Okay. Well, thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And let's see if we can get one more call in before we go to break. And that's going to be Joy. Hi, Joy. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I've got a question about perennials and hostas. We're going to do a hosta garden, and so I'm going to transplant existing hostas to an area. And my question is, do I cut the foliage off or just take the whole uh, plant and, and transplant it? Well, you could cut the foliage off if you want to, but uh, I would probably do it a little bit later. You know, do it in mm-hmm. September. The foliage is probably going to start going downhill by that time anyway, so cutting mm-hmm. it off is fine. Okay, and another question is I bought some um, perennials from a box store, and um, they are some, you know, they're kind of wilting or, or uh, dying off, or but they're not dead. Uh, but they're still in their pots, and I want to plant those also in a sunny location. Uh, what do you recommend about transplanting those? Basically, just make sure you have the soil prepared. So lots of organic okay. matter and everything else before you put them in the new in new location. And okay. Then, now, yeah. do I cut do I cut off the dying foliage? If the foliage is dying, yes. If the foliage is still rigid and in good shape, no. Okay, and the the stems uh, are rigid, but the the flowers and everything at the top. Are um, I mean the the stem is pretty bare until the very top, and then I've got dying flowers there. Um, I forgot the name of the plant. If it, anything that's in flower, cut the flowers off for sure. Anything else okay. you can leave. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Sure. Mike Bye-bye. Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Folks, this is the tip of the trowel hour, and this is a very special tip of the trowel. So I didn't give it during the classic tip of the trowel time. I decided to do it a little bit later. The tip of the trowel actually goes out today to Tracy's father. Yesterday was his birthday. He would have been 98 years old. Unfortunately, he passed away multiple years ago. But Tracy's father, I knew Tracy's father before I knew her multiple years. Tracy's father was a lawyer. He also played golf. But what he did, he played competitive badminton. I played competitive badminton, too, but I was a terrible badminton player. So when I started playing badminton in the group that he played with, he took me off and spent several times Uh, several different periods of time with me to teach me to be a better badminton player. So a tip of the trial goes out to Tracy's father, who helped me very much become a better badminton player. I mean, this is competitive badminton. This is kind of like I I never got very good, but he was willing to spend the time with me. And that's just his sort of demeanor of life was that way. So she misses him a lot. He was very important to her. So, again, the tip of the trowel, special time, not usually done at this time, goes out to Tracy's father, whose birthday was yesterday. 
he would have been 98 years old. Unfortunately, he didn't get to you know live that long, but uh, he taught me badminton. I wish I could have gotten better, but uh, I the only only sport I really got adequate in was volleyball, and that was as a setter. But thanks to Tracy's father for helping me out with my badminton skills. So anyway, let's head now to Collinsville and see what's going on with Pat. Hi, Pat. Morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have a question for my son regarding uh, elephant ears. Uh, he and his family are going to be relocating in less than two weeks to a, a new home about five miles away. He has three large elephant ears in the ground and one small one. His plan is to dig them up and repot them in big pots and transfer them and let them stay till whenever, another couple of weeks, and then dig them up, dry them out, and replant them in the ground next spring. Uh, And I'm thinking this is too much. I'm thinking he should just cut them down now, dig up, up the bulbs, dry them out and hold them until spring, and then replant them in the ground. What do you think? Well, basically, he can't hurt them if he wants to dig them up, put them in a pot, and move them to the new location and just leave them in the pot and you know, until, let's say, October or whenever they start going downhill. So he could do that. There shouldn't be a problem with that at all. Then, you know, in October, when the foliage you know, finally finishes or gets frosted or whatever, to cut the foliage off, dig them up as historically is done. Okay. So there's not a problem. Yeah, there's not a problem doing that at all. If he digs them up, puts them in a pot, and they start going downhill, you know, as a result of that, then consequently just cut the foliage off, pull them out of the pot, shake all the soil off, and put them in, you know, wrap them up with newspaper and put them in a paper bag for until next spring. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. And Bye. let's see, where should we go now? Let's go over to Roger's yard. Hi, Roger. Good morning. How are you today? Very good. Uh, a couple quick questions for you. I planted some hydrangeas and a rhododendron several years ago, and nothing's blooming. I just wondered if something's wrong or what. Uh, rhododendrons are tough to grow here, so that's kind of understandable. The hydrangeas, uh, I don't know which variety you have. There are so many different varieties. Are you fertilizing? Uh, yes. So are you using like an acid-based fertilizer? Uh, that I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Yeah, so make sure that if you fertilize them, use a fertilizer for acid-loving plants because that's going to have a, you know, a little bit more, let's say, some different nutrients, micronutrients that could make a difference. In You're not pruning them, I'm hoping. No. Okay, so just basically you're just going to have to kind of fertilize them. If they look healthy, the foliage looks healthy, and just kind of keep your fingers crossed that maybe putting some of the micronutrients will help trigger the flower bud situation. Yeah, they look great, just no blooms this year. Right. So. And uh, I got a lilac bush that the leaves are curling and browning at the edges, and I assume they just got drowned with all the rain we had. It certainly could be. I mean, this year has been dramatically different on all kinds of different plants. And the lilacs yeah, really prefer a dry. They like an alkaline soil versus an acidic soil, which the hydrangeas and rhododendron. Okay. All right. Appreciate your help. Sure. My pleasure. And let's see. Where should we go now? Julianne, how are you? Oh, it's 
Joanne. Oh. Uh, yeah, I'm calling about a magnolia tree that I have, and uh, I've had it about four years now in the ground, and it's got a lot of low branches, uh, which I would like to trim off, but I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> You could do that. I would not necessarily do it now. Unless you look at the branches, you know what magnolia bud, flower buds look like on the end of the branches? Right, right, right. If there's flower buds on the end, I'd say wait to do the pruning until next year after they finish flowering. If there is no flower buds on the end of the branches, then I would probably still wait a little bit until we get a little deeper into the fall. Now, is this an evergreen variety or is this a variety that is deciduous, losing its leaves? Uh, it doesn't lose all of its leaves. It loses loses some uh, periodically, but not not a lot. But for the most part, it's evergreen. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So, in other words, uh, I would probably just you know I would go ahead and wait until later on in the season to limit up. Now, if these are longer branches, you know, cut them off in sections of one third at a time, with the final cut only leaving a stub of about a quarter inch or so. Oh, okay. Uh, if they're longer branches, you say? Yeah, because if you do it on longer branches, if you try to cut it off, let's say at the trunk or the next major branch that it's attached to, sometimes the weight of the branch can tear the bark and open up a potential for problems with fungus and bacteria and viruses. Oh, I got you. Okay. So that's right. why you want to cut just, it off. I just didn't want it to look like a bush, you know. I want it to look more like the tree, right. you know. Sure. So, and that's what it looks like now. It's kind of a bush. So I'll, I'll wait and do that late in the fall then. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mike. Have a good day. Yeah, my pleasure. And let's go now to Jones. Hi, Joan. Hi, Joan. I mean, hi, Joan. Um, <laughs> Mike, I have a question about my walnut tree. We've lived here like 40 years, and the tree has been here all that time. Every year we would get gobs of walnuts. And this year... We, we are lucky we even got a pail full. Can you tell me what could be wrong with my tree? Uh, weather. <laughs> so in weather, other words, you think? Yeah. So in other words, when, let's say, the walnut was in flowers, you know, so you got to have the flowers before you can get the nuts, uh, something, you know, cold snap, cold, you know, kill the flowers off, and that's why there was no, let's say, flower fertilizing, pollinating, so no nuts. Wow. Well, I'm not complaining because they're a pain in the neck to clean up. (laughs) (laughs) The squirrels aren't happy either. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, you know, speaking of, it's kind of in relationship to that, I cannot believe how many acorns some of these oak trees are producing. And when you walk underneath them, you could tell there must be 100 squirrels up there because the ground is just covered with confetti from, you know, the squirrels eating the, you know, the acorns. But that wow. has nothing to do with your walnut. But uh, I would say it's probably, again, just screwy weather. Okay. Well, thank you so much, and I love your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And okay. Now, bye-bye. Sure. And now let's go to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I've got an oak tree, and it's just dropped all the acorns on the yard. I mean, it's it's just saturated with right. with, And they're green. Uh, I don't know if that storm we had a couple weeks ago maybe had something to do with it, or is is there anything that could be wrong with the tree? No. I mean, premature drop is just there may have been, like I just spoke of, I'm walking underneath trees, you know, oak trees, and it is incredible the amount of, uh, you know, acorns that are on the ground. So there may have been just a huge production, and the trees just, you know, sloughing some of them off. Okay. 
All right. Well, thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KM Morris Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, realize and remember, if you're not putting seed down, like for your fescue or your bluegrass lawn, this is the time of year if you have a history of weed, cool season annual weeds, this is when you put the pre-emergent down. Those cool season annual weeds are like henbit, chickweed, annual bluegrass, and several others as well. The pre-emergent, you cannot... It's hard to mix the two together, even though they say wait X amount of days after you put the pre-emergent down, put the grass seed, or you put the grass seed down before you put the pre-emergent. You know, you, you have to decide which is the most important. So trying to orchestrate and blend them both together, I don't advise that. So if you're feeling wild and crazy, certainly go for it. But uh, this is a cool season annual weed pre-emergent time of year. So let's go over to Glenn's yard. Hi, Glenn. Yeah, uh, I got two small crepe myrtles, miniature crepe myrtles. Mm-hmm. When can I transplant them? I would probably not do it going into wintertime because they're a little bit uh, iffy anyway. So I would say when we come out of wintertime, before the new growth begins, the foliage growth. So sometime, uh, let's say around March, mid-March, Ides of March, I would transplant them at that time. Can't do it now then, right? Well, you could. You could try it, but I I just don't like to, you know, crepe myrtles, especially the miniature ones, they're a little bit shaky. So if you, you dig them, everything's fine. The ground's warm, like I've talked about so often about transplanting this time of year versus the spring. Then if we have a really severe cold winter, they may be, that's why I'm saying you could do it, yeah. but uh, I just think you're better off not to. Okay, thank you. Sure. But, uh, yeah, it's your yard, so if you want to do it, that's fine. Diane, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. I have a a few questions to ask. I I have some peonies that already have mildew. Usually it doesn't happen until later, and I haven't trimmed them off yet. Should I do that right away? Yeah, you might as well. Usually they do, you know, mid to late August start getting the powdery mildew, so I'm surprised historically you haven't had it. Okay, and I have a huge um, oak leaf hydrangea in my front yard. It's probably about six feet tall and about five feet wide, and I would like to trim it off. Usually I just trim off the blossoms, but Mm -hmm. it's gotten really overbearing, and I'm not really sure when to do that. Basically, it's a summertime bloomer, so you can really prune it any time from this point all the way up until, you know, springtime. Okay, great. Now, my last question is I seem to be – Providing the smorgasbord for the critters this year, I, I've had raccoon and possum and deer and chipmunks, and my tomatoes are just—they're they're gone. Is we have a heart a, a live trap, and my husband has trapped raccoon, possum, and squirrels wow. in there, and now they're after our fish in our pond. I'm just <laughs> not sure. <laughs> I don't know what to do. You know, I mean, there's not, too, I mean, they're going to fight because it's food. So, I mean, there's not really too much as a preventative or repellent or anything else. So there's, I mean, you just kind of have to, you know, live with that. I don't want to, I hate to say that, but that's basically what you're facing. All right. Okay. 
Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, around your pond, you could put try to put a fence, you know, with chicken wire, very maybe double it together so they can't get underneath it or anything else. But then that kind of ruins the aesthetic of your pond. Yeah, for sure. So, All right, thank you. Sure. And now let's see, where should we go? Let's go over to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Mike, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Mike, uh, I have a situation. I have a, a, a retaining wall that's covered with ivy. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I have this evasive uh, crawling weed taking over, and it, it'll, it'll climb trees, and it'll spread on the ground and in, right in the ivy. And other than pulling it up, is there any way I can kill that? Well, it's going to be laborious, but uh, yeah, taking Roundup and painting it onto the leaves of the you know the vine that you're trying to get rid of—that's about the only thing you can do that won't impact the vine, you know, the ivy that you like. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, paint it with Roundup. Yep, yeah, right onto the leaf. And so that'll I, kill I'm, it. I'm saying that... paint it because if you spray, then the Roundup's going to get on the the ivy that you're trying to preserve. Sure. And that's by painting it, you're keeping it right where you want it. Okay. Thanks for your help. Sure. My pleasure. And let's get another call in. Uh, How about Rick's yard? Hi, Rick. Yeah. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, Hi. um, I have like four uh, pear trees, and a guy came out and told me they were spire pears, and they're close to my house. And I'm really concerned that one of these storms is just going to you know, knock one of these things down. In fact, one of the recent storms I was barbecuing and all of a sudden a branch just popped off. So I know pear trees are not good. So, and they, the one guy said, well, we can trim them, you know, take some off the top or what's your advice, trim it or just get rid of them. I would say get rid of them (laughs) to be honest, especially because you've got so many trunks coming down or let's say major branches coming down to the trunk. Go out there with each one and just kind of put your hand in the area where all these, you know, trunks or branches are coming and intersecting together into the main trunk. And just, you know, put your hand in there and see how wet that feels. And if it feels really damp and kind of ooky, then that means they're kind of just sitting there waiting for something to make them sort of snap. Uh, yeah, they just, uh, all of a sudden, they'll just fall down one day. I mean, is that, that could happen. Yeah. I mean, you know, a strong wind in middle of the night or something like that. And if they're close to your house, I wouldn't fool around. Okay, good. That's what I'll do. All right. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can prune them and people have cabled them together and done all kinds of different things, but that seems a bit extreme. Yeah, it's not cheap to do this, but uh, it's cheaper than uh, having uh, your house messed with. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's go over to Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hey, I've got some big old vines on old oak trees, and the vines are probably almost three-quarters of an inch thick. Can I cut those uh, off, you know, cut an inch off them and make them die or or, uh, just leave them? Or is it going to choke the oak trees? No, they won't really hurt the oaks. I mean, you can go to Europe where they've got some major old trees that have vines growing up on them. If you don't like them, what's going to happen? What you can do is just you know kind of gently pry them away from the trunk at one spot and just cut off about an inch intersection. But that will kill, you know, not the one that's going into the ground, not that section, but the one that's going up into the tree. So then what you can do is... 
you know, get some Roundup for killing woody plants and just paint it on that, you know, that open wound where you cut it. Or just leave them alone. Sounds good. Thank you. Sure. I mean, you can make it as complicated as you possibly want. And let's go over to Greg's yard now. Hi, Greg. Well, hello. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I have a large maple tree. It's probably 40 feet tall. And I had an arborist come out to look at it because the leaves never fully developed. Where normally they're about the size of my hand, they're maybe about the size of two or three fingers. And uh, he's come out and taken some samples and tried to send them off. but We've never got any results. He said uh, because of COVID, the labs are shut down or whatever. And interestingly, there's another maple tree about 20 feet away that's about half the size, but it's perfect. And I'm curious what could cause these leaves to be so small. Uh, you know, it's really tough to say. It's You know, the tree looks healthy. Other than that, there's not major splits in the bark or anything along that line? No, he's uh, he made a little joke. He said he was stumped. Um, <laughs> he looked, yeah, he, he said, you know, it, it looks fine. He's... Uh, which is why he uh, he sent some samples off to a lab. But it's been probably two months since he was out and can't get any results. And as I say, everything else in the yard looks great. Um, but it's uh, it's a shame because this tree's just gorgeous. Um, he was estimating it's maybe 40 years old and it's perfectly round crown. And uh, so we'd hate to, you know, have something bad, but uh, he has no idea. Right. You know, it's a little tough to say. I mean, there are some diseases potentially that could cause some problems, but generally they don't just reduce the size of the leaf. Again, I'm, you know, I've said this several times today. I think it's just related to the weather. When, you know, when the leaves were being pushed out, there was some goofball weather that kind of messed them up, even though the one that's 20 feet away or 50 feet away or whatever it is wasn't impacted. This particular tree, just like, you know, everybody, people-wise, tree-wise, even though, could be impacted adversely or differently. Just leave it alone and take a look and see what happens next year. If the foliage is the same, let's say downsized, then the tree may be, I don't want to say too old or whatever, but there's something internal that's causing the problem beyond just the weather. Well, thank you so very much for the info, and you have a blessed day. You do the very same thing. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. We're going to O'Fallon and into George's yard. Hi, George. Hey, Mike. Hey, I got a question. Um, I'm looking to plant a hydrangea. That's like a standalone hydrangea that's going to get real big and flowery in my backyard. And I'm looking for one that's going to be able to stand up to our winters and summers like a native you make a suggestion? Well, there's not a native hydrangea, first of all. But if I was going to pick one that I think is the toughest hydrangea, it would be the oak leaf hydrangea. Okay. It, ha- okay. it doesn't have the classic hydrangea look as far as foliage goes, but it is very reliable, very tough, very durable. And that usually makes it through our winters? Oh, yeah. Okay. Is that What kind of flowers does it have on it? Uh, they're going to be – the flowers will be the same. It will be big bunches. They just won't be round. They'll be more or less, you know, the cluster of small flowers or it's going to be cone-shaped as opposed to round. Okay. What colors does that come in? It's, it's white, basically. It's just all the same color. There's yeah. no different varieties. Right. Is there any other ones that you uh, – If you want something that blooms in the springtime, do the PG hydrangea. The oak leaf blooms in the summertime. The PG blooms in the spring. Okay. 
Yeah, I heard that oak leaf has really fall, good fall colors, too. Right, exactly. The rest of them don't have too much when it comes to fall color. Okay, yeah, I'll probably go oak leaf. And this would be a good time to plant it? Like, Yeah, uh, if it's available at the garden centers, it's perfect. Okay, perfect. All right, thank you. Yep. Again, remember, three times the diameter of the root ball, that's how big the hole is, but only 80% as deep. I know the drill. <laughs> All right, thanks. Sure. David lives in Oakville. Hi, David. Hi, Mike. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Love sure. your show. Um, I have a question. I need some advice from you. Um, we have some ground cover uh, that is creeping over from our neighbors. It looks like a, could be like dark green ivy, not, you know, in vines, but just individual leaves that's trying to take over our yard. And I like grass. Can you recommend uh, something to eliminate that problem? Yeah, anything that you can use. If it won't impact your lawn, but use a broadleaf weed killer like Weed Be Gone or something like that, try that and see if that'll get it under control. Now, is that just uh, comes in a bottle or spray? Or yeah, exactly. They're all, you know, there's multiple, you know, companies that make herbicides, and each company mm-hmm. has, you know, let's say a broadleaf weed killer. Okay. So that's what it would be considered then. Right. That would be the ideal thing. Also, right before you put the, uh, you know, herbicide down, Walk on and stomp on everything that you're going to be trying to kill so you can open up some wounds so it can be absorbed in quicker. Oh, good idea. Okay, this late thank in the, you so much. Yeah, this late in the season, everything has a deeper, thicker, waxier cuticle, so it makes it so it's not going to be able to you know, resist, or resist the herbicides a little bit more. Kind of like they have a raincoat on, huh? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Sure. And David and Chesterfield, you're going to be our last caller, so you can do it a little quickly. Mike, uh, I'm trying to find pre-emergent. I go to big box stores, and they say you only do that in the spring. I said, no, that's not true. Mike Miller says do it in the fall. I'm looking for some kind of a brand name, which you probably can't give out. And I see nothing that says pre-emergent. Can you can you get me something that is a pre-emergent instead of just a weed killer today? Yeah, basically try Ace Hardware or try the year-round garden centers. And for okay, the big box, that'll do it. Thanks so much. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, and it's you know for these places to not understand there is two different types of annual weeds. That's why we put the different, you know, or we put a herbicide down, a pre-emergent down at two different times of the year. I mean that just kind of shows what the real problem has been for years and years and years, and why certain weeds have been just overly in- invasive and aggressive. Also, again, we've ha- we're having a kind of a dry spell now, so just realize that your plant material needs to be watered, whether it's your lawn, whether it's your trees, whether it's your shrubs, your perennials, your annuals, your bulbs, or anything else. So just don't let anything go, let's say, get under drought stress as we head deeper, deeper into the fall. We've still got another month of summer, remember? I mean, June 22nd was the first day of summer, so we've got July 22nd, August 22nd, and then September 22nd. That's going to be the end of technically summer. But this is a time of year, again, to be sort of measuring areas to put mulch down, measuring areas if you want to do a new bed space, those kind of things, and then head out to St. Louis Composting to get the organic materials that you need. And best, and most of all, 
This has been a totally wild and crazy year as far as weather goes. That's why we're seeing certain things happen that we historically have not seen. But just realize that that's, you know, that's the way nature is. That's kind of the fun of growing all the things that we do. And so it kind of, you know, it is a little bit frustrating. It is a little bit heart disheartening. But uh, that's what the outdoors is all about. So simply go out and enjoy it. And uh, enjoy your rest of the weekend. And enjoy next week as well. And I will see you next Saturday. Mike Miller, KMY Garden Hotline. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.